Davis Financial Advisors is a branch office of and securities offered through Independent Financial Group, member FINRA and SIPC. Sean Davis is a registered representative of Independent Financial Group. The interpretation and organization of these ideas are the confidential thoughts of Sean Davis and do not necessarily represent the opinions of IFG Incorporated. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, including market fluctuation, possible loss of principal value or liquidity, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment strategy will be profitable. And now, Uncommon Investments and Resources presented by Davis Financial Advisors, independent investment services for pursuing your investment goals. Here's your host, Sean Davis. Welcome to the show. You're listening to Uncommon Investments and Resources presented by Davis Financial Advisors, and I happen to be your humble host. My name is Sean Davis. I'm going to be your guide for the next couple of hours as we discuss your money, your investments as it relates to all this volatility we've seen in the last few weeks. China, China, China. We're going to talk about China today and why what is going on in China. Why does it matter so much to the markets and thus to your money? Is the worst behind us now? Is it going to get worse? Should I be concerned? What should I do to protect myself if it does get worse? These are all important questions, and I'm going to try and shed some light on what is going on with China and the rest of the world and why it matters absolutely to your money. So I will tell you that uh, I've gone through a mix of emotions thinking about this show and preparing for it. You may not know this, but I do all the research and preparation for this show, predominantly by myself. Um, I'm not some talking head that can occasionally sound good on the radio using someone else's talking points. I'm my own person. I do my own research, and I write the content for this program. In addition, I have a full-time financial services business with clients that I see every day. So needless to say, I've been pretty busy, but if I'm candid, part of me knew that this was coming. I knew that the markets were jittery with regard to China, and I thought that it would get worse before it got any better, and it's not hard to see the potential for these types of events when you pay attention and do the amount of research that you have to do to stay on top of things. This is part of the reason why I've aired a show recently called The Case for a Second Opinion and also Investing with the Net. I felt that things were going to get a little sketchy, and I wanted you, yes you, to be informed, prepared the very least, not ignorant to what has been going on. So when the markets finally did begin to turn, part of me thought, I was right. I'll be candid. I'm not always right. I'm human. Uh, There is an imperfect science to investing. There's so much out there that can change at any moment and affect the outcome of certain decisions you make. So I can be wrong as much as I'm right. However, when you are right, it does feel good. Was there a part of me that wanted to jump on the radio and say, see, I told you so? Uh, Yes, but it was a very little piece. I'm not a boastful or gloating person, so I would not naturally be inclined to say I told you so. However, there is a part of me that wanted to shout from the rooftops, this isn't over yet. I got into this business to try to help people make better, more informed decisions in the hopes that it might make a difference. In their lives. Isn't that kind of why we're all on this planet? I mean, if we don't make a difference in the lives of other people on the planet, I, I think it's a life wasted. So the biggest emotions that I felt during the last few weeks was concern and worry 
for the people that don't recognize that what is going on in China is absolutely significant to their money. China matters to your money. Now, also being candid and transparent, I've been a little surprised at how many people are still investing like they have been for the last six years. In other words, I was sounding the alarm bells to a lot of deaf ears. Maybe you're one of those people right now. Maybe you've heard my show before and also heard my calls for caution and the prudence of getting a second opinion, but haven't done anything about it yet. Let me just say that now is the time to get a second opinion. Commodity prices are falling. The world is slowing. The EU put a Band-Aid on a bullet hole with Greece, and China could be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Anything that can move the market almost 2,000 points is significant to you and your money. And you should be asking a lot of questions about how you and your money will be affected to the people that help you manage your money. I'm going to do the heavy lifting for you on that one. I have a list of questions that every single person listening to my show right now, yes, I mean you, yes, you, every single person that has money in the stock market, every single person that has a retirement account, 401k or IRA, should be asking of themselves or the people that are helping them manage their money. Let me say this as slowly and clearly as possible. You should absolutely be asking questions about your current investment strategy, given the volatility that we've seen in the markets in the last four to six weeks. China matters to you and your money. So here's the plan for today. I'm going to be discussing what has happened in the markets over the last few weeks. I'm also going to be discussing what's going on with China and the rest of the world today and why it matters to you and your money. I'm going to also shed some light on some interesting factoids on human behavior as it relates to investing and why you may not be acting rationally or logically in your investment decisions. And lastly, I'm going to close out the show today with a step-by-step -step outline of what you can do to prepare if China and the rest of the world cause more tumult in the markets. Think of it as a prudent investor's defensive strategy to address the risk that China could continue to drag on the markets for a while. Now, I'm going to give you a sample of some of the latest headlines coming out of the financial markets in the last week or two. Rising anxiety that stocks are overpriced. This was Robert Schiller, New York Times. A retest of the lows seems likely. Eric Bush. Why the markets rebound won't last. Anthony, I'm not even going to attempt that last name. He's from Fiscal Times. Thank the robots for Wall, Street, Wall Street's wild ride. Investors have been making a mad dash to cash. Is classic bear bounce a time to sell? Lack of fear means this correction isn't over. Stock's worst month since 2012. Fed up investors yank cash from almost everything, just like in 2008. Peter Schiff, the pipe dream is ending. The stock market hasn't had a sell-off like this in over 75 years. And then Robert Gunlock, stocks will fall further. I mean, this is just a simple sampling of some of the headlines out there. So obviously, I'm not the only one talking about this. And I offer you a glimpse into what others are saying so that you understand that almost everyone thinks that these market movements mean something. It is not business as usual by any means. I mean, this should be a two-by-four smacking you across the head a bit going, hey, do you understand that the Dow just posted its worst loss in August in almost 20 years? Do you realize that there's more net outflows coming out of the market than inflows going in for two months straight? We haven't seen that for multiple years. 
And anytime there's a correction, that's always a sign that things are changing. So we want you to be educated. I've got two things I'm going to give out to those that call this number, 800-682-2806. I've got my latest investor's guide. It's called The China Syndrome, What is Going On in China and Why It Matters Immensely to Your Money. And I've got a call to action, the case for a second opinion on your investment planning, five reasons why now is the time. Both of these are yours if you phone us at 800-682-2806. It's toll-free. My team's standing by. They're going to ask you a few brief, simple questions. Once we get these answers uh, to the questions, we'll send this information out to you today via email or regular mail, whichever you prefer. So when I come back, I'm going to give you a little interesting factoid about um, net outflows out of the market, and then we're going to jump right into what's going on in China. My name's Sean Davis. Don't go anywhere. Uncommon Investments. We all know somebody who's had the cancer scare or even had to deal with the disease. Heart issues, significant health matters. Once diagnosed, many, if not most immediately got a second opinion on what they were told in the treatment options. It's a very serious matter, your health. And next in line is your financial health. So many people never consider a second opinion on their financial health for no good reason. Why put that off? Why not get another look, another way to accomplish the objectives? You still have the ability to choose to stay the course or to make a change. At least you know there are options. Now is the time to take that action to get a second opinion. In medical terms, one might say the stock market is acting unpredictably. It needs a checkup. Is it well? Healthy? There's a case to be made that it is not. Don't find yourself caught in an unhealthy financial situation. Get a second opinion by calling Davis Financial Advisors at 1-800-682-2806 or visit them online at davisfinancialadvisors.com. Welcome back to the show. Sean Davis on your radio, talking about your money, talking about China, 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 and its effect on your money. What happens in China matters to your money, obviously. And so we've been talking about the ins and outs of um, what's going on. And I, well, actually, we will be talking about it right now. Uh, but it, before I do that, I'd like to give you an opportunity to get some uh, printed materials that I've written. The first one I want to give you is a new white paper called An Investor's Guide, The China Syndrome. A little play on a movie about three, four decades ago. What's going on in China? So you know. A lot of people don't know what's really going on. I've got some great graphs in here. I want you to know what is going on and why. What's going on in China and why it matters immensely to your money. Uh, our belief, our concern is that uh, this isn't over. And uh, we want you to understand how jeopardized China is right now and, and what is going on. So I'll give you that. That's about 35 pages. And then I've got a call to action. Um, and I hope you're listening to this. I, I hope you heed my siren sounds here, my, my warning sounds, to at least get a second opinion. It's called The Case for a Second Opinion on Your Investment Planning, Five Reasons Why Now is the Time. Both are yours, but only if you call us at 800-682-2806. My team standing by. They're going to ask you a few brief, simple questions. Then we'll send this information out to you today. Um, it's important to know what's going on. It's important to be educated. So 800-682-2806. All right. So I, I said before, China matters. I'm going to say that throughout the whole show. Um, here's an interesting article I was done upon when I was doing research for the show. That's from Bloomberg. And it's, um, you know, here's another sign that uh, it's not business as usual. But retail investors, mom and pops, just like you and me, pulled out billions couple of weeks ago in the wild week from the markets. July and August were the first back-to-back -back months where retail investors pulled more 
aggregately out of the markets than was what put in since 2008. Anybody remember what happened back in 2008? Um, no, Sean, I don't recall. Well, you, you may be reminded. Um, this matters to you and your money. If we have more people selling than buying, then obviously the prices of what you own are going to go down, even if you aren't the one that wants to sell. So mom and pops are running for the hills. Since July, American households, which account for almost half of all, excuse me, which account for almost all mutual fund investors, have pulled money from both mutual funds that invest in stocks and those that invest in bonds. It's the first time since 2008 that both asset classes have recorded back-to-back monthly withdrawals. This is according to a report by Credit Suisse. Credit Suisse estimates that $6.5 billion left equity funds in July and $8.4 billion was pulled from bond funds, um, citing weekly data from the Investment Company Institute. Any, this is a quote. Anytime you see something that hasn't happened since the last quarter of 2008, it's worth noting, supporting said, support us said in the phone interview. So this is a person that actually did the study. It may be that this is an interesting oddity, but if we continue to see this, it could reflect a more broad-based nervousness on part of household investors. Withdrawals from equity funds are usually accompanied by an influx of money to bonds, and an exit from both at the same time suggests investors aren't willing to take on risk in any form. While retail investor sentiment isn't the best predictor of market moves, their reluctance could have significance, supporters said. Uh, it might suggest households are getting nervous about holding investments, and that could lead to some real economic implications, including cutting back on spending. Should the market turn lower again, it will be interesting to see if we have the traditional move back into bonds or if households move to cash. Remember, this is significant to you and your money. So this is the first time that's happened since 2008. So it is not business as usual in the market. So let's get on to what's going on in China. So I know you have questions, and a lot of people don't really understand why this matters. But I found an interesting article in the Washington Post that pretty succinctly puts the woes of China into an easy and understand format. The interview was between uh, Brad Plummer of the Washington Post and Patrick Chovanek a longtime China watcher who is currently chief strategist at Silvercrest Asset Management and was formerly an associate professor at Tsinghu University School of Economics and Management in Beijing. So I'm, I'm going to shed some light on this through this dialogue back and forth between Brad and, um, and um, Patrick. So let's assume I know nothing whatsoever about China. What would you or how would you explain why the country is suddenly facing all these economic problems and making headlines? Seems like China was booming. And so here's the answer. If you want to understand where China is right now, you have to go back and look at China's growth model for the last 30 years, which has been a classic export-led growth model. That doesn't mean all of China's growth came from exports, but the country has been using external demand to ramp up industrial investment in a way that could not be sustained if it was relying purely on its own domestic market. This is the same approach that Japan— South Korea and countries in Southeast Asia have all used. They turned their poverty into a competitive advantage using cheap labor to sell to markets abroad that did have demand. That allowed them to suppress domestic consumption and channel as many resources as possible into investment. Normally, that creates an imbalanced economy, but they could make up the difference by selling abroad. Then why isn't export-led growth working for China anymore? It's a good question. The problem is that this model works well for a developing economy, but when you become the second largest economy in the world, as China has, 
It's very difficult for the rest of the world to absorb these imbalances. If China wants to produce more than it consumes, someone else has to consume more than they produce. And after the financial crisis of 2008, there were signs that those other countries could not afford to go deeper into debt to consume that much. So you started to see a significant fall-off in Chinese exports beginning back in 2008. Wait. If China's export model was already faltering back in 2008, how did the country manage to keep growing so strongly over the last five years, six years? China responded to this fall-off in exports by engineering a monetary stimulus. That translated into a lending boom, which translated into an investment boom. So as Chinese net exports came down from 8% of GDP to 2% of GDP, investment in China rose from 43% to almost 50%. So China went on an investment boom. What does that really mean? People started building houses and factories? Well, right. China had lost external demand. In other words, their net exports fell, so less, less people buying what China was producing. So they lost external demand, so the country doubled down on investment. China had essentially been keeping GDP growth high by creating new infrastructure, housing, factories. The problem is that in order for all this to be real, there has to be an end user. In the past, demand from overseas could make up the difference, but that's not going to materialize anymore. So the demand has to be domestic. So Sean, or anybody else, let's see if I have this right. Eventually, someone has to start buying the stuff China produces. It can't just keep building factories forever with no customers. But if demand isn't going to come from the United States or Europe or other countries, it has to come from within China. So how does that happen? Well, there's a widespread recognition that this shift is needed. But under the old growth model, selling to everybody else in the world, making it cheap, cheap labor, cheap factories, selling to everybody else in the world, the entire economy has been geared towards diverting resources away from the household sector and toward investment. That includes tax policies. It includes exchange rate policy, keeping the renminbi weak. It, so China needs to change these policies. The problem is that if you do this, you knock the legs out of the investment boom that's driving growth or has been driving growth now. And a Chinese economy driven by internal consumption would look very different from today's economy. Different winners and losers. So the companies that are succeeding today don't want to see that model change. The companies in China that are succeeding today don't want to see that change. So let's break this down in more detail. What has China been investing in exactly? And what are the signs that the country has invested too much, as one recent IMF study has suggested? Well, housing has made up about a quarter of investment, residential and commercial structures. Commercial real estate has outstripped demand to a serious degree. There's also business investment, expansion of factories, etc. So we see massive overcapacity in certain industries. One of the largest shipyards in China declared bankruptcy. Another shipyard run by a Chinese company is asking the government for a bailout. In the solar sector in China, we've seen two big bankruptcies of some of the largest manufacturers in the world. There are similar pressures in steel and aluminum. So here's another. Are there good examples of other financial mistakes that have been created through this investment boom? Uh, there's obvious examples. I mean, a lot of people know things like the Olympic-sized stadium built in a fourth-tier city without a team. 
A lot of the high-speed rail lines China built won't make economic sense, although some will. There are also a lot of airports that receive a flight or two per day, but a lot of other investment isn't always obvious on the face. I've seen web video of ports where you take the tour, see the presentation, and think, okay, this makes sense. It's a port. It's awesome. It will help unlock growth in that region. But then you look an hour down the road, and there's another port with exactly the same business model. And it turns out that there are five ports in the same province. Back before 2008, these projects would have been vetted, and maybe only one, one would have been approved. But during the investment boom, all five were approved, and they cannibalize each other. This is a big problem, and there are more problems. I haven't even gotten into the currency devaluation or the stock market plunge yet, and I'm going to get into that when I come back from the break. But China matters. It matters to you and your money, and I don't know that we've seen the worst of it yet. And I want you to understand what's going on. Um, I want you to be educated. I'd like to send you a couple pieces of uh, information, a white paper and an investor's guide. Uh, first one is Davis Financial Advisors Investor's Guide, The China Syndrome, What is Going On in China, and Why It Matters Immensely to Your Money. So I'll send that to you. That's 35 pages. you got to call us at 800-682-2806. I'm also going to give you a call to action. It's the case for a second opinion on your investment planning. Five reasons why now is the time. You want to sit down with somebody and get a second opinion. Now's the time. I'll send that one to you as well. That's over 60 pages of information, yours, if you phone us at 800-682-2806. Now, when I come back from the break, I'm going to talk about what happened in the markets, the currency devaluation, and whether or not we think China's going to get worse or not. Sean Davis, Uncommon Investments. Have you ever dragged your feet on something and wished that you had taken action? Maybe a car you didn't buy, a house you didn't make an offer on, an investment that you didn't follow through with? Is this the case with your portfolio today? Have you been thinking about a second opinion, but it just hasn't been the right time? Now is the time. Don't procrastinate. The market has become twitchy. It's bouncing. Are you in the right position to continue to grow or at very least withstand the market adjustment? Has your broker suggested you sell while the market hovers at all-time highs? If not, do you have a plan when to sell? Is there a strategy, a trigger point that protects your assets? If not selling now at the very top, then when? The case for a second opinion has never been stronger. Don't repeat regret with, I should have. Now is the time to act on your good instinct and knowledge. Get a second opinion on your retirement position by calling Davis Financial Advisors now. 1-800-682-2806. 1-800-682-2806. Or visit them online at davisfinancialadvisors.com. What you hear is what you get. Here's Sean Davis. Welcome back to the show. Sean Davis on your radio. Talking about your money. Talking about China. 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 What's going on in China? Why it matters to your money. It does. It matters. And there's a lot going on that should um, should make you a lot more open and receptive to getting a second opinion. The world has changed. We have a market correction that we've seen. We had the worst August in almost 20 years. And by the way, when August has a bad month, usually September follows. Um, so I'd like you to be educated. I've got a couple of different things I'd like to give you. I've got an investor's guide called The China Syndrome. I'll play off a movie three, four decades ago. What's going on in China? I want you to understand. i got some great graphs in here. It's very simple, easy to understand, but you can... You know, know what's going on with China. You want to be the smartest person in a, in a room, grab this graph, and then uh, go to a party and talk about what's going on in China. 
<laughs> and why it matters immensely to your money. So that's 35 pages. I'll give you that if you phone us at 800-682-2806. I'm also going to give you a case for a second opinion on your investment planning. It's a call to action. Five reasons why now, now's the time to get a second opinion. Uh, both are yours. We'll email them, email them to you today if you phone us at 800-682-2806. Again, toll free, 800-682-2806. So to recap, um, China had an export-led economy up until 2008 that was booming. In other words, they sold more, sent out more, manufactured more than they ever brought in. So that export-led economy drove growth, uh, GDP growth to them. And so in 2008, um, a lot of countries didn't have the ability to buy as much. A lot of people kind of went on a spending hiatus, which negatively affected China. So what China did was they started a building boom, manufacturing factories, infrastructure, streets, cities, airports, that kind of thing. The problem is that you can't just keep building that. I think they were trying to buy time. They built, 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 and now they got nobody consuming it. So the next question is, so why do banks and other lenders keep pouring money into these kind of projects? It sounds like lenders don't care if they invest in projects that don't pan out. I mean, this is a reasonable question. By the way, uh, this is an article that came out of the Washington Post. Um, it was an interview between Brad Plummer of the Washington Post and Patrick Chovanek, a longtime China watcher who is cur currently chief strategist at Silvercrest Asset Management and was formerly an associate professor at Tsinghu University School of Economics and Management in Beijing. So he understands uh, what's going on in China. So here's the question that Brad tendered to Patrick. So why do banks and other lenders keep pouring money into these projects? It sounds like lenders don't care if they invest in projects that don't pan out. Uh, well, here's one concrete example. The way many investment take place and are rolled out is through private loan management vehicles, which will often promise 12% returns or higher on assets. So when people go to the bank to buy these products, when Chinese people go to the bank to buy these products, they think, hey, this can't fail. The implication is that the state-run bank or government will stand behind these instruments. This belief is widespread. That leads to an incredibly distorted investment work market where no one's looking carefully at the risk. Too much investment is based on the perception that the government is the guarantor of everything. That's Patrick's response. And by the way, I think a lot of this is going on right now in, the, in this country. You know, a lot of people think that the government won't let anything fail. Well, there's a point at which maybe the government can't help the failure. So here's another question from uh, Brad to Patrick. So this explains why China's banking system is now facing problems. Right. In a healthy banking system, the bank will lend money out to you and you eventually pay the bank. Back, the principal, plus interest. The bank gets that capital back and lends it out to the next person. But now let's look at an economy that's mainly driven by investment, where that's half of GDP growth. Every year, the inv investment budget has to get bigger and bigger. China has to build more roads, bridges, and highways, and so on this year than it did the last year in order for investment to contribute to GDP growth. So now I'm a bank, and I have to finance that. If the investments I'm making aren't generating a return, if they're not being utilized, then I'm not getting paid back. That means the only way I can make new loans is through credit expansion. So credit keeps growing in the banking system, but so does the burden of bad debt. It's funny money. That's not what he said. That's what I'm saying. That doesn't sound good, but can't China keep stimulating its economy to stay afloat? 
What people don't realize is that since October of last year, China has had a huge burst of stimulus, a massive expansion in lending. In the fourth quarter of 2012, credit expanded by all around $600 billion. In the first quarter of this year, and the first quarter of this year is about $1 trillion. About half of that lending is coming through shadow investment vehicles, which promise high returns and where it's not clear who bears the risk. The top securities regulator in China wrote an op-ed when he was the head of the Bank of China likening these vehicles to Ponzi schemes. They're now paying out from money coming in rather than from the return on their assets. It's a dangerous type of financing. And the important thing to realize is that for all this credit expansion, the returns are rapidly declining. So the old model of trying to pump in money and boost investment is not working anymore. It's not going to things that create growth. So here's the last question. If everyone knows that this massive credit expansion isn't working, can't the Chinese government figure out some way to rein in lending? Well, the Chinese premier, Li Keqiang, I don't know if I said that right, has said that he, we can't keep stimulating the economy this way. It's not going to produce results. We need to rein in credit to try to adjust toward more balanced growth. But when we tried to rein in shadow credit, we saw what happened with the credit crisis about a month ago. Trying to rein in the rate of credit expansion leaves banks exposed. The banks have become addicted to these rates of credit expansion, not just to finance a continued investment boom, but to paper over their losses. So it's a delicate line they're trying to walk. So here's another question. So now, how does China shift its economy to find a more sustainable way to grow? Well, it could take a bunch of different forms. You could have consumption rising from 6% growth to 13% growth, which would allow GDP to keep its recent pace of around 9 to 10% a year. Or you could have a collapse in investment, but consumption could remain resilient, which means China's GDP growth would fall to 3 to 4% per year. There are all sorts of different ways it could go, but my concern is that the longer China puts off a correction, and it's put off for years, the harsher it will be. I mean, it, it, Sean Davis here speaking— Here's what I think. I think we haven't seen the worst of it yet. Um, there's more in my white paper that I'm, uh, I'm going to give you a lot of graphs in there that I think help tell the story a little bit better than maybe I'm doing on a radio show doing a monologue. But, I, you know, if you're worried about your money, which I think you should be concerned, I think you should be biasing towards getting a second opinion, here's a couple things I'd like to give you. Um, I've got an investor's guide, the China Syndrome, what is going on in China and why it matters immensely to your money. I'm going to give you that if you call us at 800-682-2806. I'm also going to give you a call to action. It's a Davis Financial Advisors call to action. I wrote this. Sean Davis sounding the, uh, the alarm that a call to action may be needed. The case for a second opinion on your investment planning. Five reasons why now is the time. I'll give you both if you call us at 800-682-2806. Again, toll free, 800-682-2806. All right, coming up next in a little over four and a half minutes, I'm going to talk about whether or not I think China is going to get worse before it gets better. Don't miss this. Sean Davis, Uncommon Investments. Are you comfortable with your portfolio positions? Do you like what you're seeing with the stock market volatility? Do you know what the global impact of Greece or China or the Japanese markets mean to you and your money, your retirement income? The answers to those questions are probably no. If you're like many of us, you just don't know what it all means. It, it means something. It's a heads up that means something is going on that could impact us all. World markets are correlated. What happens in one part of the world can greatly impact everyone. 
It's happening at a faster pace than ever before, and that's why it's so important you get input on your financial future from more than one source. The case for a second opinion has never been stronger. There are ways to protect yourself from what happens on the other side of the planet. Call Davis Financial Advisors now, 1-800-682-2806. They'll give you an unbiased look at your position. 1-800-682-2806. Online at davisfinancialadvisors.com. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Uncommon Investments and Resources. My name's Sean Davis, and we're talking about your money. We're talking about your investments. We're talking about China. China, China, China. Uh, it's been all the news of late. has caused all kinds of volatility in the stock market, and I know you have questions. Is it going to get worse? Is it going to get better? Have we seen the end of it? That's why I've written... Uh, Davis Financial Advisors Investor's Guide called The China Syndrome. What is going on in China and why it matters immensely to your money? Uh, you can get a copy of this. It's about 35 pages, great graphs in there, lots of detail, uh, but easy to read. I mean, if you want to be the uh, person that brings up the subject at the next water cooler discussion or party, you know, like what's going on with China, this is your guide. It'll tell you everything. Um, you can get that by calling 800 682 2806. I'm also going to give you a um, Davis Financial Advisors call to action. Um, if there was ever a time to get a second opinion and relook at your strategy, uh, I think it's now. The case for a second opinion on your investment planning, five reasons why now is the time. I'll give you that as well. That's about 30, 31 pages. So a little over 60 pages of information free to you if you phone us at 800-682-2806. It's toll free, 800-682-2806. My team's standing by. They're going to ask you a few brief, simple, short questions. Helps us get a snapshot of what you're doing. And then we'll email you uh, both of these today or send them out via regular email, whichever you prefer. <laughs> regular email. Regular mail, whichever you prefer. All right. So, um, you know, we've been talking about China, what happened there, export-led GDP growth kind of economy. In other words, they had to sell stuff to, um, to keep the general gross domestic product going. Um, obviously, things started to slow in 2008. Um, We've we seen an export-led economy be stifled by countries having citizens, um, United States included, Americans, that were more reluctant to buy. And as a result, less exports meant less revenue. So China tried to stimulate the economy by building anything and everything in their country. But the problem is, unless you got people using that, generating revenue, it, it doesn't it doesn't help. you got to keep con consistently expanding. So, you know, it kind of brings us up, um, you know, to now. We've seen a correction in China. It's affecting all the markets, and there's big reasons why. And so, you know, what is what, what has to happen to China? So I, I had an article that I had read um, out of the Washington Post, um, a gentleman by the name of uh, Brad Plummer, I'd interview another gentleman, uh, Patrick, who um, I, th I thought had a really good handle on what's going on. So I'm, I'm sharing that interview with you. So here's a question that Brad asked Patrick. But what n exact steps would a correction entail? It would mean reining in credit expansion and focusing on ways to allocate credit more efficiently. That means imposing hard budget constraints, uh, which has been lacking in China, uh, is market discipline. Companies in China have been able to borrow indefinitely and were rewarded as long as they kept getting bigger. They could invest in anything as long as it added to GDP growth, even if it didn't generate a return, which is, this is Sean now, this is obviously a problem. 
Does that mean the government and state banks would have to start letting more companies fail? No more bailouts and endless credit to paper over bad loans? Uh, You have to have a process of creative destruction. I don't think there's a way for China to undergo that correction without serious disruption. In the short run, that will probably mean lower GDP growth, perhaps even negative growth. Then there's the potential for financial instability, with investment products or banks defaulting as they've revealed to be overextended. I'm not sure there's a way to avoid that now. This is why the market is reacting to China. They're worried about how big a fallout, how big a catastrophe this is going to be. So back to the interview. The latest news is that China was growing at 7.5% in the second quarter of 2013. That's obviously below China's recent growth rates, but it still seems like a reasonable fast growth. Is 7.5% really so bad? The 7.5% number is a number that has to be approved by the Politburo and the state council. There are many people, uh, this is Patrick speaking now, including myself, who don't believe it and think that the number underestimates the depth of the slowdown that's taking place in China. For annual GDP growth last year, uh, I personally think it was more around 5.5% as opposed to 7.8% that was reported. Uh, I'm hardly alone in that respect. There was a famous WikiLeaks cable in which now Premier Li Kuang told U.S. diplomats that he doesn't even look at official GDP numbers. Instead, he looks at more concrete numbers like rail cargo shipments, energy consumption, and credit expansion. And there was a chart I tweeted about a week ago showing that if you looked at this, Li Kuang Index, the Chinese economy is now below the low point it hit in 2009 when the official GDP was reported as 6.5%, and some people even felt the economy was in recession. So there's a lot of skepticism about the numbers coming out of China. So what's the best case? You know, This is you, general consumer, going, hey, how is this going to affect me? How does this play out? What's the best case scenario for China? The good news is that if the Chinese economy goes through this process of adjustment, and if the economy is no longer diverting resources to unproductive purposes, if that happens, then there are real areas for potential productivity gains in the Chinese economy. There's agriculture, logistics, the consumer economy, retail, consumer brands, healthcare services. All those have the potential for huge gains if resources are directed in a responsible way, which means there's accountability and the potential for failure. The other piece of good news is that China has accumulated $3.4 trillion in foreign exchange reserves. That represents China's global buying power, the ability of Chinese to start consuming more than they produce. That means if China was willing, it could see a sharp slowdown in GDP as part of its adjustment, but still sustain the standards of living. China has a cushion that it's earned for itself. The problem is that doing so would represent a drastic change in China's relationship with the global economy. So there are options, but they require very different thinking about the direction of the Chinese economy. And it's human nature to do what works until it stops working. That was the problem Japan ran into when it faced an adjustment in the 1980s. The country resisted moving away from its successful export-led growth model. So what's the worst-case scenario? Like, this is really what you're asking. It's going to get worse. They continue to try to squeeze every bit of growth from their existing growth model, continue to create overcapacity, and they end up with an economy that either drifts like Japan's did in the early 1990s, where they keep the economy from collapsing by overinvesting, or worse, they can't keep that up and serious financial instability results in the form of bank failures. I'm not predicting that, but that's a possibility. So what does China's slowdown mean for the U.S. and other countries around the world? Right. How it affects the rest of the world. It depends on where you sit relative to the Chinese economy. There are countries and industries where China's investment boom has been a net driver for growth. Australia or Brazil selling iron ore to China, for example. And to the extent that China's investment boom buckles under its own weight and collapse, those countries... 
they'll be hit hard. And obviously, it has a huge effect on the world markets. That's what we're seeing. And that's why we believe what's going on in China, it matters to you and your money. And I'm going ha- to talk about what you can do to protect yourself in the next hour. Um, I have several ideas of what you can do. But if this is um, making you think that maybe it's time to get a second opinion, I've got a couple things that I'll send you. But as a way of introducing ourselves to you, one is an investor's guide, the China syndrome, what is going on in China and why it matters immensely to your money. I'll send you that. I've also got a call to action, the case for a second opinion on your investment planning. Five reasons why now is the time. And I'll send you that as well. All you do is phone us at 800-682-2806. Again, it's toll free, 800-682-2806. My team's standing by. They're going to ask you a few brief, simple questions. Uh, Once we get the answers, we'll email this stuff to you today or send it out via regular mail, whichever you prefer. In the next hour, I'm going to talk about what you can do to protect yourself. Don't go anywhere. Sean Davis, Uncommon Investments. Bull markets don't last forever. Did you know that we're in one of the third longest-running bull markets in the last 100 years? The last two did not end well. We can't predict when this run will end. We do know outside influence matters. Global markets matter. Corporate earnings matter. Interest rates matter. They all signal now is the time to take action and get involved in your investments. Surely things have been good. They may even continue for some time, but will it eventually change? And when it does, are you prepared? Just like a health checkup, have you had your portfolio checkup? Is your advisor still doing the same things for you as two, three, four years ago? Things have changed, and now is the time to get a second opinion. It's preventative medicine, maintenance, if you will. Call Davis Financial Advisors now to set your appointment for a fresh look, an unbiased, uncommon look at your portfolio. See how healthy your retirement accounts are from a different source. Call 1-800-682-2806. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Uncommon Investments and Resources, presented by Davis Financial Advisors. And I happen to be your humble host. My name is Sean Davis. And I've been talking about China. China, China. China has had a huge effect on the markets. Um, In case you didn't know, one of the worst Augusts in over 20 years. Uh, Point decline. By the way, usually what happens in August happens in September. Historically, you know, August... Or September follows August. If August was negative, you know, like I saw a statistic that 72% of the time that September is. So I think we're in for a rough road this September if uh, statistics prove true. A lot of people bailing out. A lot of people not. You know, a lot of people concerned. Is this reminiscent of 2008, 2009? So we're we're just having a chat about it. In the last hour, I kind of brought you up to speed on uh, why China matters. Um, they're going to have to go through a huge economic transition to come out of this on the other side um, healthy and in a solid position. But I think it's, you know, is it naive to expect that they're going to be able to do that? I, I don't know. I just, I think as a consumer, if you're listening right now, if you're retired, if you're managing your own money, if you've got money in the markets, um, I think it's an extremely important time to get a, a second opinion. And so uh, before I jump into the next segment, which is talking about uh, maybe some psychology uh, issues, behavioral psychology issues with investing. I I found some interesting information I want to share with you. But I'd like to say if uh, China's got you worried, um, I've got an investor's guide called The China Syndrome, What is Going on in China and Why It Matters Immensely to Your Money. Um, I've also got a call to action, the case for a second opinion on your investment planning, five reasons why now is the time. Uh, both are yours. If you phone us at 800-682-2806, my team's standing by. They're going to ask you a few brief, simple, short questions. 
once we get to the answers to the questions, we'll um, send this information out to you today via regular email or mail, whichever you prefer. All right, so, you know, it, all, it always fascinates me the intricacies of, of human behavior as it relates to investing. Now, some of you will absolutely heed my call to have a conversation with your current advisor about how jeopardized you are to what's going on in China and its effect on your portfolio. Some of you will heed my call to get a second opinion as well. I think in this environment, it's extremely prudent and practical to talk with another advisor to get a second opinion. However, how many of you will actually do it? It's got me thinking about human psychology and the effect of it on your investment management. I'm fascinated by people and how they make decisions. So I found an article from Cataract Grant that discusses the psychology in human behavior and investing that I want to share. In fact, I was so intrigued by the article, I'm trying to set up an interview with a behavioral psychologist to discuss it further on the radio. Uh, I wanted to understand why, in the obvious face of information to the counter, uh, individual investors tend to make the wrong decisions regarding personal financial management. So you know, one of the first things that you'll learn about um, behavioral psychology as it relates to investing is this idea of loss aversion. One of the most... One of the first and most compelling insights of behavioral finance and economics is that a loss produces pain greater than the pleasure of a win. In fact, one of the fathers of behavioral finance, the Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman, found that a loss hurts 2.25 times more than an equivalent gain. In other words, an investor would have to see a gain of 2.25 on an investment of $1 in order to make up for the emotional cost of losing that dollar. So think of it this way, two, almost two and a half times more severe is the loss than the gain. People no doubt honestly respond to questions asked in financial risk tolerance questionnaires, which we do as advisors, but experience demonstrates that they act and feel quite differently when the actual market downturn occurs and the value of their holdings decline. What I mean by this is I, I used to do this prior to the 2000.com uh, uh, implosion. I used to ask people, how risk tolerant are you? Well, I'm very risk tolerant, Sean. I, I mean, I can... I can weather pretty much anything. And then you speak to them six months into the carnage of the meltdown of the tech sector, and they go, uh, I'm extremely loss-averse. I don't want to lose another penny. <laughs> you know, in other words, experience, actually losing money, changes your view on how risk-tolerant you are. As we'll see when we look at anchoring, uh, which is another human behavior thing, loss-aversion can lead to investing behavior that is sometimes irrationally risky and at other times irrationally risk-averse. When investors are shaken by a dramatic market decline, like we've seen, for instance, they may become so frightened that they decide to sell all or most of their holdings. Of course, this may occur at the exact bottom of a decline, meaning that sellers miss out on the inevitable recovery in valuations. Um, at other times, or in other situations, they may be so frightened of loss that they hold on to investments that they deem safe, even if buying seemingly riskier investments would actually be less risky. I see this a lot with some of the people that I deal with in my practice. Because I talk about and deal with a lot of, quote-unquote, alternative investments, some people think that their risk profile, risk profile of alternative investments is uh, much greater than the stock market because they are unfamiliar. This isn't necessarily true. Both the stock market and alternative investments have similar potential to lose principal value. I would just argue that there are fewer things that make an alternative investment lose value than things that affect the stock market and make it potentially lose value. Just because it's familiar doesn't mean it's safe. So what do you do? You know, as a consumer, as an investor, if you're listening, you have to visualize the losses before they occur to help you counter your 
everything is going to be okay bias. In other words, what would you feel like right now if your portfolio was worth 10% less tomorrow? I mean, it's already we've already lost 10% of the markets. What if it was worth 10% less tomorrow? Could you live with that very real pain of loss? What aspects of your long-term goals? Maybe solid retirement income or a legacy are so important to you that you wouldn't want market events to jeopardize them. Would you be willing to take some steps now that might cut into present gains to position your portfolio for, you know, mitigating losses if they occur? So that's something to consider. I mean, I, I see that a lot in our practice. Um, you see people uh, sometimes make foolish decisions in, in big ways one way or another. We don't think people should be all out of the market, but I don't think that the stock market should be the only place you're at either. So let's talk about anchoring. Also known as focalism, uh, anchoring involves the human tendency to focus on one piece of information, usually the first piece offered when making a decision. Because of this tendency and because people have difficulty in assessing probabilities, many of the assumptions investors make about security prices and the direction of those prices can be flawed. For example, let's say uh, XYZ shares have been trading in a 30 to 35 range for a few months. So let's say you own stock, XYZ. And it's been in the 30 to 35 range for a few months. An investor who becomes aware of the stock during that time period is thinking of buying it may come to believe that XYZ is a $32 stock as a result of what we call anchoring. If the stock then drops to $27 a share, anchoring is likely to lead the potential buyer to believe that the stock is a bargain. In other words, it's fallen in value, so it must be a bargain now because I paid 32 for it, right? Of course, it's just as rational or irrational to believe that XYZ was really a $27 stock all along, if such thing didn't exist, but had been unrealistically traded in the 30s for a while. Anchoring can also lead to longer-term portfolio problems for investors, who often tend to position the price they paid for security as an anchor. If those XYZ shares were purchased at 32 a share, for example, that price would become the investor's anchor. The investor would be very reluctant to sell the shares at $27 since, in his or her mind, the stock is worth $32 a share. And you got to ask yourself, I mean, if you're listening to this right now, are you doing this now? The market has declined. We've lost value. There might be some prudence to making some changes to your portfolio, but are you reluctant to sell because you believe whatever you paid for it, you know, XYZ at 32 and now it's at 27 because the market declined, you know, you're selling it at a discount. You're selling it at a loss. You're selling it too cheaply. You got to think about the possibility that you are getting in your own way. I mean, it, it is a possibility. That's why it's uh, good to sit down with somebody that has a, you know, less emotional perspective on uh, where you should be and where you sit. All the more reason for a second opinion. If that's making sense to you, then I've got something uh, by way of introduction that we'll send to you. I've got an investor's guide called The China Syndrome, What is Going on in China and Why it Matters Immensely to Your Money. And I've also got The Case for a Second Opinion on Your Investment Planning, Five Reasons Why Now is the Time. I'll send you both if you phone us at 800-682-2806. Again, that's toll-free, 800-682-2806. We'll also offer you an opportunity to sit down with us one-on-one. -on -one. Um, to hear more about um, maybe our different, uncommon strategies that aren't as market-sensitive. Now, you can take advantage of that as well by calling 800-682-2806. All right, when I come back, I'm going to talk more about psychology. i got a few more things, tidbits, stuff you might find fascinating. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to talk about an outline of what you can do to protect yourself if China's got you worried. Sean Davis, Uncommon Investments.
Building a great investment portfolio for retirement is a lot like a master chef's recipe for a great dish. Good ingredients blended perfectly to get the proper outcome. But just because you know what to use doesn't guarantee a great outcome. Experience matters. How long to cook it, the exact temperature, what it should look like along the way. This is what a great advisor does when they're managing your money. They're in the kitchen. Are the investments blended properly? Are you truly diversified? Do assets move in a non-correlated way to the market, ensuring protection in a downturn? Ovens can be hot, just like the market, and you don't want to get burned. You don't always want the same meal. Now is the time to try something different. Get a different taste, a second opinion on your portfolio. Let the master chefs in the investor's kitchen at Davis Financial Advisors take a look at your financial recipe. Get their unbiased look at your current investment recipe. Call them now, 1-800-682-2806, or visit them online at davisfinancialadvisors.com. Your reservation is waiting. Are you ready for more of Something Uncommon? Welcome back to the show. Sean Davis on... Your radio, talking about your money, talking about your investments, talking all things financial, of course, all things uncommon, as always. And you caught me talking about China, China, China. China's all over the news. It's affecting your portfolio. It's affecting the markets. Big swings. You know, you want to know why? Well, I'm your guy. That's what I'm telling you today. We've uh, had a great discussion. By the way, you can catch all this if you missed part of it. You can catch it on our website, www.davisfinancialadvisors.com. Um, you can log in in there and you can get prior shows, uh, prior white papers, stuff that we've written. But uh, more importantly, you can call me right now to get our information. I've got the China Syndrome. It's an investor's guide. What is going on in China and why it matters immensely to your money? I'll send that to you if you phone me at 800-682-2806. I'm also going to give you a Davis Financial Advisors call to action. The case for a second opinion on your investment planning. Five reasons why now is the time. Uh, both are yours, but only if you phone us, 800-682-2806. Now, before the break, before we were um, interrupted for a few minutes, I was talking about some psychology, uh, behavioral psychology and in human investing. Well, behavior psychology in investing. <laughs> I don't think non-humans invest. <laughs> you imagine your dog you know, picking a better stock than you picked? <laughs> Fido, you know, you got to tell me what your secret is. I don't know. I just went off on a tangent there. But uh, anyway, I want to talk about psychology. Uh, I've talked about a couple different things. We talked about anchoring and loss aversion. So let's talk now about familiarity bias. Now, Sean, why are you talking about psychology on your financial show? Because there's a lot of psychology in how people make decisions. And it's it's sometimes strange to me. I mean, I, I sounded some bells that there was some concern about what the markets were going to do. I've been doing that for a few months, and, you know, it's just surprising to me that more people didn't um, acknowledge it, I guess. And so I want to I want to understand why. So I got into psychology here. So familiarity bias. It is a human tendency or heuristic to use the psychological term to describe our rule of thumb way of making judgments, to come to a certain decision quickly based on experience. When, cons when confronting a new situation or set of facts, our minds race to find similarities to past events and then come up with a conclusion or an assessment of the current situation. All too often, however, this familiarity bias can lead us astray. When investing, we exhibit familiarity bias in several ways. One way is U.S. issues dominate our holdings. In addition to all the rational reasons for buying or not buying a particular security, Americans tend to overweight U.S. issues issues or stocks in their portfolio simply because we are familiar with them. 
Foreign investors, by the way, also invest more heavily in domestic securities, but because their home markets are much smaller than the U.S., they invest internationally more than Americans do, simply out of necessity. Second, many investors tend to favor equities over fixed income strategies or energy stocks over technology stocks, for example, largely because they are comfortable with their current choices and find unfamiliar investing unsettling. I see this once again in my practice. Some people find something new not nearly as appealing as something that has been around for a while. For example, alternative investments have been around for centuries. In fact, many alternative investments are the basis for the very first investments in human history. Land, precious metals, real estate, energy, just to name a few. However, because the investments are not in the stock market, some investors shy away from them. What can you do? Well, you got to get educated. It might help you weather the storm if China drags down the market further. Learn about what else is out there. What you might be looking for could be right under your nose. Let me put it in different terms. Alternative investments, you know, which is a lot of what we do. The show is called Uncommon Investments and Resources. Alternative investments have risks. You can lose principal value. They're substantially illiquid, and their dividends are not guaranteed. You can lose money in an alternative investment. The last thing in the world, I think, is that alternative investments are perfect. It's investing, which is putting money at risk in the hopes of getting a better return. There's nothing perfect about it at all. However, here's what I do. This is why I do what I do. I think that there are fewer things that make alternative investments crash than things that move the stock market. I think alternative investments can provide for a better version of diversification. Diversification does not guarantee performance or prevent loss. However, it can mitigate losses if done correctly. Alternative investments are, by definition, outside the stock market in different industries, sectors, managed by different companies. And I believe most of them have different strengths and weaknesses than one another. For example, let's say you own a self-storage facility down the street from your house. Has that self-storage facility been affected by the latest news from China? Probably not. I'm not saying that there aren't other things that affect that storage facility. I'm just saying, unlike investments in the stock market that tend to all move in unison, it's not easy to see a portfolio of alternative investments affected by one thing. For that reason alone, I think I can help some of you create a more diversified and strategic investment model. And if that makes sense to you, then call us, 800-682-2806. All right, getting back to uh, psychology, let's talk about mental accounting. Richard Thaler, Thaler, a pioneer in the field of behavioral finance, describes mental accounting as the cognitive operations we use to organize, evaluate, and keep track of financial activities. In essence, we think about money in a compartmentalized way, which affects how we behave. Take someone who earns a salary and a bonus. Instead of thinking of the two as merely the constituents of annual income, one pot of dollars, many people tend to think of the salary component as the one pot from which they pay for rent, food, auto bills, other expenses, while the bonus pot goes for trips, splurges, or lump sum savings. Essentially, because of our tendency to engage in mental accounting, we think of a dollar as being different, more valuable, easier to risk, etc., in one context than another. You know, a classic example of that is, is gambling. I mean, if you go to a casino and you're up, if you've got the house's money, don't you take often more risk with that free money, that house money, even though it's a dollar for dollar. I mean, it's, it's your dollar. You control it. You own it, right? Our mental accounting processes can have positive and negative consequences. For example, the requirement to make a regular contribution to a voluntary savings plan, the basis of the old holiday clubs at banks, which people could save for a gift-giving season, leverages our capacity to often prefer a mental box for savings. I see this with college funding, too. Everyone wants to have a college funding account, you know. 
Um, I think people should build wealth in many different places and then let that wealth they built help fund college. You know, I don't I personally don't like the compartmentalization of money to one purpose. The same principle, however, boomerangs when we overwithhold taxes. While the government gets to use our money without paying us for it, many people prefer receiving a refund from the government, which seems like a gift than sending an IRS a check for any shortfall. So what do you do? You need to think about all your money more rationally, which will help you investment thinking as well, helping you to clarify how you allocate and think about quote-unquote safe money as opposed to money that you feel that you can risk through investing also can lead to more effective investment strategies. Think of creating multiple different buckets or bags of investment money. Maybe you have a speculative trading bag. Maybe you should have a safe bag. Maybe you should have an alternative investment allocation. Maybe a fixed income bag, too. It's all one big pot of money, but if you compartmentalize it, you may be able to accomplish a better, more diversified, diversified overall allocation. The next two human behaviors are the most interesting to me relative to our conversation today. The next human behavior I want to discuss is the gambler's fallacy. Let's say you're doing a coin toss and you come up with heads six times in a row. It's more likely that you'll get fewer heads the longer you keep going, right? Well, if you believe that, you are succumbing to the gambler's fallacy, also known as the Monte Carlo fallacy. The fallacy is that past patterns somehow influences future odds. Because humans have difficulty understanding the mathematics of probability, we're prone to seeing patterns and random events. And then, after presuming a pattern, assuming that it cannot continue or that it will continue. Those who think the stock is down so much it's bound to go up are expressing the fallacy. The converse is also true. The stock is doing so well that it can't possibly fall in value. I mean, how many of you thought that, realistically? I mean, you looked at something and go, oh, look, look at the cycle, look at the pattern. It's got to do X. And sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. I think this is the biggest reason why most investors don't end up, quote-unquote, selling high. Remember, there's only one way to make money on any investment, buy low and sell high, right? Unless you're a dividend investor. So there are two actions, buying and then selling. Why don't more investors recognize when there's a top to a market? Maybe it's the gambler's fallacy. It's gone up for so long, this time's different. Be very, very careful with that kind of logic. If this is making sense to you, um, then I think you should call to get our information. At the very least, get our information. Consider getting a second opinion. We'd love to give you a second opinion. Uh, but all you got to do is phone 800-682-2806. I'm going to give you an investor's guide, the China syndrome, what is going on in China and why it matters immensely to your money. And I'm also going to give you a call to action, the case for a second opinion on your investment planning, five reasons why now is the time. Now, later on the show, I'm also going to give you a roadmap, an outline of what you can do to protect yourself if China's got you worried. So I've got more to discuss. I've got one more human behavior before I get into discussing the outline of what you can do to protect yourself. Um, that and a lot more coming up. Right after this, Sean Davis, Uncommon Investments and Resources. We all know somebody who's had the cancer scare or even had to deal with the disease. Heart issues, significant health matters. Once diagnosed, many, if not most, immediately got a second opinion on what they were told in the treatment options. It's a very serious matter, your health. And next in line is your financial health. So many people never consider a second opinion on their financial health for no good reason. Why put that off? Why not get another look, another way to accomplish the objectives? You still have the ability to choose to stay the course or to make a change. At least you know there are options. Now is the time to take that action to get a second opinion. In medical terms, one might say the stock market is acting unpredictably. It needs a checkup. Is it well, healthy? There's a case to be made that it is not. 
Don't find yourself caught in an unhealthy financial situation. Get a second opinion by calling Davis Financial Advisors at 1-800-682-2806 or visit them online at davisfinancialadvisors.com. Welcome back to the show. Sean Davis on your radio. Talking about your money, talking about your investments, talking about China, China, China. And its effect on the markets and its effect on your portfolio. We've discussed in the last hour everything that's going on in China, uh, why they're having the problems that they are, and uh, what it means. Um, I personally think that uh, you know China's going to be one of those examples of a country that has to do a complete uh, about-face restructure of how they uh, produce GDP, gross domestic product. They've been an export-led country, and you know, and then they were an infrastructure-building country, and now both of those things are kind of coming to an abrupt end. So we're going to see what ended up happening in China. But I've got an investor's guide called the China Syndrome. What is going on in China? Uh, you want to know what's going on? I've got great graphs in there. It's really easy to read. Um, tells you the whole story about what's, uh, what's really happening in China and, and why we think it should concern you and why it matters immensely to your money. So I'll send you that. you got to phone us at 800-682-2806. I'm also going to give you a Davis Financial Advisors call to action. I don't do this a lot, but I'm calling you to action, the case for a second opinion on your investment planning. Five reasons why now is the time. Nobody wants to be caught flat-footed. Nobody wants to be the last soldier to the Battle of Little Bighorn. You know, I, I didn't know that... Uh that the market was going to turn, you know, like nobody wants to be the last investor in at the top of the market back in 2008. I'm not saying that's what's coming. I'm just saying that there is the potential for that. So get educated, 800-682-2806. Sit down with somebody that maybe has got a bit of a different viewpoint than you. All right, so I've been talking a little bit about psychology, and, and primarily the reason I wanted to outline these human behavior issues regarding investing is that I, I want you to understand that you may, to some degree, be getting in your own way. If you subscribe to or adopt some of these human behavior traits with regard to how you manage your own money. So we talked about a few of them, um, the gambler's fallacy, anchoring, loss aversion. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the herd effect, the last human behavior trait in investing that I want to discuss today. Wherever and whenever there are markets, there is herd behavior. From the South Sea bubble in 1720 to the dot-com bubble in the final years of the last century, many investors can't help but be swept up in the euphoria of a bubble. Of course, few investors recognize a bubble as it is occurring. Most times, a speculative bubble starts off rationally. In the case of the dot-com bubble, for instance, the Internet really was a development that would change the way we live and do business, and many new companies were capitalizing on the growth. The general upswing in share prices moves into bubble territory when social pressure mounts to join what seems to be winning behavior. In other words, everybody's doing it and making money, so it must be right. Rising stock prices take on a life of their own, leading to wildly excessive valuations and ultimately a collapse in prices when everyone collectively wakes up and realizes the euphoria wasn't reality. Bubbles are the extreme examples of herd behavior. Many investors join many herds and demand the latest hot stock or hot mutual fund. When prices break, other investors will join a herd of sellers. Obviously, herd buying or selling can be injurious. <laughs> That's a new word I wanted to use, injurious. Look it up. It's actually a real word. I'd never heard of it before. To your financial health. I believe that some of you 
that are listening are succumbing to that hurt effect. If your friends and coworkers haven't done it yet, then neither will you. I have always been, personally, Sean Davis, financial advisor, I've always been a bit of a contrarian in that regard. I tend to take the road less traveled, personally. I think that staying substantially invested in the stock market the same way you have over the last four to five years is a lot like you driving to your next dentist appointment doing 120 miles an hour just to get there five minutes early. The risk versus the reward ratio doesn't make sense. I could be wrong, but I still think that it's highly prudent to consider other investment options. So what do you do if you're worried about China and its effect on your portfolio? This is that part of the show where I'm going to begin to tell you about my ideas on how to mitigate your investment risk. Let's first have a bit of a little chat about diversification. It is my opinion that you cannot get true diversification in the stock market alone. It all tends to move together. It all moves up and it all moves down. Now, because I think the markets are unstable, I want to offer you the chance to get an independent analysis of your current investment strategy to see if it's likely to fall if the market falls. We call this your investment correlation risk analysis. Correlation is the likeliness of investments to move together. Do you have increased correlation in your current portfolio? Did most of your investments fall with the market in the last few weeks? Let me ask you a question. If there was suddenly a change in things and something that you always knew to be true all of a sudden was found not to be true, when would you want to know it? Would you want to know it immediately? Would you want to wait? Now, let's keep the question to a financial context. If suddenly it was uncovered that something that you've always held to be true, for example, diversification, suddenly wasn't easy or possible in the current strategy you have, when would you want to know about that personally? For me, the sooner the better. One of the first things I want to tackle is this myth of diversification in traditional investments. If you go back and look at some of the pillars of Financial Portfolio Investment 101, it's this concept of diversification. We're constantly told that you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. It's important to spread things out and make sure that you're not too heavily concentrated in one area. We're often given examples of Enron and the fall of WorldCom and Tyco as examples of what not to do. The biggest proponents of diversification are typically advisors in the financial services industry. They tell us that you need to keep balance. They often say, we need to have small companies, mid-sized companies, large companies in our portfolio. They will say that you need to keep a balance between companies that are value and companies that are growth. They then tell us that for extra measure, you might want to get some international exposure. That way, you're not limited to just the United States. And then they'll often say, you might want to get some sector-specific exposure like telecommunications, biomedical, pharmaceutical, energy, and so on and so on and so forth and so forth. It's all about balance and diversification. The premise of these various investments is that they're not supposed to move the same way. The theory of don't have all your eggs in one basket is that if you drop the basket, you don't lose all your eggs. The premise is that others will be fine because they did not fall. We have all heard it at least a thousand times. The strategy makes good sense. It just doesn't work in the traded equities markets. Let me say that again. It's my opinion that you as an individual investor cannot get diversification in the stock market alone. It's a nice discussion point, but not reality. That's what we believe. And if that makes sense to you, and all you got to do is look at your portfolio and how it behaved in the last few weeks. If that makes sense to you, then you might want to sit down and get a second opinion from somebody on my team, Davis Financial Advisors. And i got a couple things I'll give you just for phoning a, a, us right now, 800-682-2806. I've got the Davis Financial Advisors Investor's Guide, The China Syndrome, What is Going On in China and Why It Matters Immensely to Your Money. It's a little over, uh, it's about 35 pages. 
And then I've got a call to action, the case for a second opinion on your investment planning. Five reasons why now is the time. I'll give you that as well. But you've got to be proactive. You've got to take the initiative. You've got to do one thing. You've got to pick up the phone and call 800-682-2806. My team's standing by. They're going to ask you a few brief, simple questions, and then we'll send this information out to you today uh, via regular uh, mail or email, whichever you prefer. And now, in the last segment coming up next, I'm going to talk about three things, three or four things that you can do immediately to help protect you from the uh, China syndrome. What's happening if you're concerned about that? So stay tuned. Sean Davis, Uncommon Investments. Have you ever dragged your feet on something and wished that you had taken action? Maybe a car you didn't buy, a house you didn't make an offer on, an investment that you didn't follow through with? Is this the case with your portfolio today? Have you been thinking about a second opinion, but it just hasn't been the right time? Now is the time. Don't procrastinate. The market has become twitchy. It's bouncing. Are you in the right position to continue to grow or at very least withstand the market adjustment? Has your broker suggested you sell while the market hovers at all-time highs? If not, do you have a plan when to sell? Is there a strategy, a trigger point that protects your assets? If not selling now at the very top, then when? The case for a second opinion has never been stronger. Don't repeat regret with, I should have. Now is the time to act on your good instinct and knowledge. Get a second opinion on your retirement position by calling Davis Financial Advisors now. 1-800-682-2806. 1-800-682-2806. Or visit them online at davisfinancialadvisors.com. Even the number says talk. Give Sean a call. Check out the website, davisfinancialadvisors.com. Welcome back to the show. Sean Davis on your radio, talking about your money, talking about China. China, China. Oh, my gosh, China. What is it doing to the markets? Well, I'm telling you, uh, we're having a discussion about it for the last hour and a half. Um, by the way, if you've missed any part of it, you can uh, – Get a copy and or download the podcast by going to our website, www.davisfinancialadvisors.com. Um, and you can also call 800-682-2806. I've got a couple things I'll give you to catch you up to speed if you've missed the discussion. China matters to you and your money, if you haven't noticed. So I've got an investor's guide, the China Syndrome, what is going on in China and why it matters immensely to your money. Uh, about 35 pages, heavy in my hand, actually. I've also got another one, a call to action, the case for a second opinion on your investment planning. Five reasons why now is the time. Um, we think it's prudent to get a second opinion. We think anytime the market falls and has the worst August in 20 years, anytime we enter correction territory, anytime the market jumps around hundreds and hundreds of points a day, that might be a good reason to consider getting an update check on your strategies. Uh, financial strategies, that is. And so if you'd like to take advantage of that, 800-682-2806. All right, so we come to the point in the show, what do you do? Sean, I'm worried. What do I do? Well, obviously, uh, the first and most obvious move is to reduce your exposure to the market, okay? I'm not saying you shouldn't have money in the market. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to say that depending on your age and depending on how you can weather a storm, if you can't weather 10, 20, 30% down, like if your portfolio can't sustain that, then you need to be doing something else because um, that that is what could be happening. I mean, that we saw that back in 2008. We saw it in 2000. Um, I don't know if this is the beginning of something bigger. Um, I do think China is going to continue to drag. I think their problems aren't over yet. Uh, 
Um, and I think there could be worse to come. So one of the first things you can do is reduce your exposure to the market. Consider taking some money off the table. And if you have a strong uh, positive correlation amongst your equity investments, in other words, if most of your portfolio has been affected by what's driving this market right now, then consider reducing your exposure. I mean, you can't get in a car accident if your car is sitting in the driveway or the garage, right? So sometimes pushing pause or taking some money off the table is one of the most efficient things you can do. Sometimes not losing money is your best option. You know, you may not be able to make a lot of money, but not losing money is your best option. Here's another strategy for you. If you want to take some money off the table, sell your investments in your qualified retirement accounts first before your after-tax accounts. You don't have to be concerned about tax sensitivity there. You can sell whatever you're going to want to sell and sell it there. Maybe take some money off the table without being worried about whether or not you're going to get huge with uh, hit with a huge tax bill. You know, And we do think it's prudent. We do think that right now the markets are entering a period of time where China is going to continue to drag because their problems aren't temporary. So don't think that this doesn't have the potential to be something that's a news story for the next couple of years. Who knows? Um, if you've got an older 401k, consider rolling it into a self-directed IRA, a self-directed IRA. What I mean by that, a self-directed IRA, <laughs> what I mean is an IRA where you could own a three-bedroom, two-bath rental property. Did you know you could own a three-bedroom, two-bath rental property in your IRA? Did you know that you could own real metal bullion in your IRA? Did you know you could own U.S. minted coins in your IRA? Did you know that you can own everything from raw land to self-storage facilities in your IRA? You have a lot of traditional options. You can do everything that banks do and insurance companies and the stock market and all that stuff. But you also have a whole bunch of other options. You know, So that's my definition of a self-directed IRA. Um, you just can't own art, collectible stamps, uh, your primary residence, a vacation home, um, those kind of things. But pretty much everything else is, is available. And my point to a self-directed IRA is that if you own a self-directed IRA, okay, and you have these other assets, let's say you have self-storage in there and you have um, uh, a rental property and you have market-based investments and bonds, I mean, I think that's more diversified than a strategy that's 100% dependent on the stock market continuing to go up. So having an IRA platform that allows you more investment options, I think would be strategic if the market's having a big freakout, which it's doing right now. Um, you might want to try to mimic the strategies of some bigger financial institutions. I've talked a lot about Yale and Yale's endowment performance. I mean, Yale has led the world of collegiate endowments, um, had an incredible run. Um, you know, longtime chief investment officer David Swinson pioneered a new strategy that found better returns in less traditional vehicles like hedge funds, private equity partnerships, real estate, etc. So um, get this. The Yale Endowment Fund has had a 20-year track record, rolling 20 years, going through June of last year, 13.9%. 20 years! 13.9%. Now, guess, guess how much of Yale's money is tied to and or linked to the domestic equities market, to the stock market. Would you guess 60%? No, that was back in 1985. Oh, so it's higher. You know, they got 70%? No, it's actually lower. It's the opposite. Guess how much? 20? Nope, lower. 10? Nope, lower. They've only got 6% of their market, excuse me, of their endowment fund in the stock market. So do you think Yale's freaking out right now about China? I mean, they're probably concerned. They're monitoring it. But with only 6% of their money in the markets, now they got foreign equity of 13. 
So if you look at that total, they got 19% that's in some sort of market. But the biggest allocations they have in real assets and private equity, you know, stuff that doesn't move with the market. I mean, that's kind of the essential, you know, our strategy at Davis Financial Advisors is very loosely based on an endowment model. In other words, recognizing that it's very difficult to get true diversification in the stock market alone. Why don't you add other things to the portfolio to help mitigate that risk of a market movement taking you out, right? And so that's why we deal with alternative investments. By definition, alternative investment is an investment that's completely outside the market. That's both its advantage and its disadvantage. And we do not think that these things are perfect. They're flawed. It's investing. It's putting money at risk. You can lose value. Dividends aren't guaranteed. They've got investment liquidity risk. You've got management risk. There's all kinds of things. But here's my point. An alternative investment, you know, if you own an interest in a self-storage facility down the street— I don't believe that self-storage facility is affected by news of China as much as the market is. And if that makes sense to you, and if the idea of having a whole bunch of investments like that makes sense to you, then maybe, maybe my firm, Davis Financial Advisors, me, Sean Davis, and my team, maybe it'd be a good idea to talk with somebody like us to get a different opinion, a different perspective. I've been doing this for 11 years. I don't think what we're doing is perfect. I just think it happens to be more strategic and safer than a lot of things I see other people doing. And if that makes sense to you, call us, 800-682-2806. It's a toll-free number, 800-682-2806. My team's standing by. We'll send you the two, the investor's guide and the call to action that I promised. And most importantly, we'll offer you an opportunity to sit down with us one-on-one. It's your money. You're paying for the lessons. Different types of investing involve varying degrees of risk, including market fluctuation, possible loss of principal value, or liquidity. There can be no assurance that any investment strategy will be profitable. The show is now over, but this is the critical question that only you can answer. Was it informative and helpful? Sean and his team feel that financial advisors should bring you knowledge, information, and resources that you cannot easily come by on your own. Otherwise, what is the point of a financial advisor? If you can do what they do, you probably don't need one. There are two ways to make the information you heard here today more valuable to you. First, call or go online to receive the white papers Sean offered. Having a tangible copy of the information will allow you to take notes and review. Second, take the advantage of the opportunity to sit down with an advisor one-on-one. -on -one. Retirement planning is complex and individual. It requires the knowledge of professionals. If you requested information, Kaylee or Stephanie will call you personally to schedule your no-obligation private meeting with Sean or one of his advisors. Call 800-682-2806. That's 800-682-2806 online at davisfinancialadvisors.com.